Hello, this is Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today, we are about to head into the short session of the General Assembly in 2018, and I am here with Representative Craig Horn. He is a Republican representing Union County, and he's going to give us a little preview of what we can uh, expect in the upcoming short session. Craig, thank you for being here. Thanks very much for inviting me. And so uh, we are meeting actually the week before the short session starts, and you are already working on the budget. And um, as we were talking about before the podcast started, uh, in my experience, that's somewhat unusual in recent memory to be working on a budget, you know, even before the session starts. So tell me a little bit about what's going on. Well, first of all, it's actually not all that all unusual or that all that unusual insofar as a lot of work begins on a budget long before a session begins. That includes both the long term, the long session, when we have the full two-year budget, as well as in the short session. This time, there are some different twists. Unquestionably, we have, uh, we're doing much more formal work. The House and the Senate chairs are meeting together now to prepare a budget to, so we get a, a running start on it, if you will. Plus, we have another, I'm going to call it a new twist, but it's actually an old twist. And that has to do with how we approach budgeting. As you probably know, and as your listeners probably know, the the North Carolina Constitution does not acknowledge, call for, establish a short session. In the Constitution of North Carolina, we, we, the legislature, comes in after the election, which is in an even-numbered year, they come in in a short, in a long session. They develop a biennial budget, and they do the business of the state. We are required to to develop and pass a balanced biennial budget, two-year budget. Up until sometime in the 70s, that was all we did, and then we went home and didn't come back for two years. However, sometime in the 70s. The, the legislature decided to come and meet on the odd-numbered years, calling it a short session. And the goal of the short session was to tweak the budget based on new information. Maybe we had more money. Maybe we had less. Maybe some things that uh, didn't get done or weren't going to be done. So we could kind of move some money around. But just tweak the existing budget and finish business, which was really dealing with bills that made crossover. Somewhere along the line, the legislature got a little carried away with itself. And not only did they tweak the budget, they actually started rewriting the budget for the second year. And through the use of the proposed committee substitute process, we even began to deal with new new policy. Well, this year, is we're going back to the way it started. And that is to say, we're, we're here to tweak the budget and no new policy. Deal with our challenges are, are bills that made crossover and then get out of dodge so we're going to see how that works it's well, i think it's a good idea i think it, it it merits consideration let's give it a try uh, do i believe it'll actually work probably not we'll find a way to screw it up so as you mentioned we do already have a budget it was created during the long session last year the two-year biennium budget um, and, and as you mentioned, what you're doing now amounts to tweaking the budget to, you know, conform with current economic realities. So um, as you're deep into it, what, uh, and you're working on the education budget, I right. assume, uh, as you're deep into it, what can you uh, tell us, what, what kind of hints can you give us about what we might be seeing? Well, I'll give you the rule of thumb. The rule of thumb is if it's new, it's no. 
We're not here to, to allocate new money. We're not, we didn't come back to allocate new money. We didn't come back to begin new programs. We, our instructions are very clear. We are to tweak an existing budget, not introduce new policy, not introduce new spending, tweak an, addition, an existing budget, and get out of here. Get, go home. So, as I said, the rule of thumb is if it's new, it's no. We have not made arrangements for that. We're not going to deal with it. And so I, I, I can't remember if it was House Speaker Moore or uh, President Pro Tem Berger, but, but one of them, or maybe both of them, mentioned that the pay raises that were slated for teachers are going to continue as planned in this budget. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. And, and, and it's, a, I think, a fairly substantial pay raise. Uh, from, what I, from the numbers I have seen, by the end of this budget, we will have, for the fifth consecutive year, raised average teacher pay. I emphasize that I said average teacher pay. That doesn't mean that every teacher gets a raise. Uh, we'll see how that works out. We, so that was baked in to the original biennial, biennium budget. This, as I said, becomes a fifth consecutive year. It means that uh, we will have raised teacher pay since 2013, and 2013 is when this majority's policies actually began to take effect. Since 2013, we will have raised average teacher pay by 19.1%. We will have invested somewhere close, pretty close to a billion dollars in additional teacher pay. I think that's significant. Is it sufficient? No, it's not sufficient. I'm not pretending that it's sufficient. If we're going to attract and retain high quality teachers in this state, we must get average and all teacher pay up significantly. We are in a highly competitive environment and particularly for STEM teachers, science, technology, engineering, and math, the people that have that ability to teach STEM courses are in high demand in private industry at high dollars. So we have got to continue to raise pay. And another big hallmark of the long session budget were the, was the revamping of the principal pay schedule, which included principal pay raises for, for most principals. Um, and I assume that's going to carry on as usual. One um, aspect of that that some people had issue with was the hold harmless provision that was only supposed to last a year. Will that be addressed? It will certainly be addressed. I can assure you it's by the House. I believe by, by the legislature that we're going to continue that hold harmless. We need to significantly improve principal pay. The, the acknowledgement is that the principal is the person that hires and fires the teachers in the schoolhouse. The principal is the person who really sets the tone in the building for the teachers and for the students. I dare say the principal is the most important adult in the school building. So we have got to ensure that we are, are hiring great principals, we're supporting them with good pay and good professional development, good leadership training, and, and finding a way to ensure that we keep those principals in our schools dealing with our teachers and our kids. Beyond the hold harmless, I know that uh, some people also took issue with the, uh, the, the growth metric that, that was part of, uh, you know, factoring in how much a principal got paid. Are there going to be any changes to that, or, or are we going ahead with? I, I don't think we are in a position to deal with that portion of it during a short session when there will, there will be very few committee meetings. It's not a time for us to take the deep dive that's necessary to 
to properly, fairly uh, make adjustments to the metric. Unquestionably, the metric needs to be adjusted. Uh, I don't particularly think we did as, uh, I don't think we did good work or, or uh, maybe we did good work. We didn't do great work. We can do much better, but that's an issue that I think needs a deeper dive, which means it's going to take a little more time, and that doesn't work well with a short session. So if I'm back in the, in the next long session, I can assure you that I will be pressing hard to review, update, and improve how we treat and how we measure principles. And so beyond the budget, as you mentioned, bills that uh, survived crossover uh, are still up for contention in the short session. Are there any in particular that you're looking at that you think might have movement or that you hope have movement? Well, I will always hold out hope for, for calendar flexibility. That's, I have yet to read a study on overhauling and improving uh, the delivery of K-12 education that does not tell us that calendar flex is a critical piece of improving educational outcomes for kids, and particularly the lowest performing kids. So we're going to be looking at that, I hope. I think that we need to, to look as well at how we can improve the advanced teaching roles models, uh, the opportunity for us to keep high quality teachers in the classroom and allow those teachers the opportunity to grow in their profession without the requirement to leave the classroom. The goal is to, in, to attract and retain the highest quality teachers in front of the, every kid and put every kid in front of the highest quality teacher. I believe that there is a school building bond bill as well that's still possibly under consideration. Yes, the House has promoted a school building bond bill. That, that bill would not only pay for new buildings, but also help us to renovate and upgrade a lot of very old school buildings we have in this state. As we move into the continue to move into the digital environment, we're going to need a modern classroom. We can't afford to build every a new building for every student and in every LEA, but we should be able to go back and retrofit where where we can, uh, so that we can accommodate the changes in technology, the improvement in the delivery of food services and nutrition services as well as take a look at the safety factors. And school safety is front page, top of the fold. How do we deal with that? Some of these old buildings, quite frankly, are nearly impossible to secure for, to ensure safety for our students. So it's gonna take a considerable amount of money. And the only way that's gonna happen is a bond. And I know this kind of ties in tangentially to some of the issues that still remain with the K-3 class size restrictions when you guys um, addressed many of the complaints that people had regarding, um, you know, uh, uh, specials teachers, right. teachers who do PE, arts, we, and that kind like of thing. We like to call them enhancement teachers. Enhancement teachers. Which That's... I detest. <laughs> It's the word I was looking for, but why do you detest it? Well, I detest it because I don't believe that that uh, music, art, and PE are enhancements to education. I believe they're fundamental to education. I think that they uh, often are the reasons that kids even come to school and want to come to school. I think they're motivational. I think they're instructional. Uh, I think that they add a lot to the to the atmosphere of a school and to our entire society, our very culture. So I don't consider them enhancements, I consider them fundamental. Now, the school, the uh, class size issue is 
quite an interesting issue. Uh, interesting because, to a certain extent, it's a problem of our own making. Now, it sounds great that we're going to lower class sizes. That, that makes logical sense, that smaller class sizes should enhance student outcomes. Show me the data. Because, frankly, I've not been able to find data that shows that anything less than, or excuse me, more than, a 15 to 1 ratio, anything 18 to 1, 21 to 1, there's not any data I can find that, that sustains that that will improve student outcomes. So I would much rather use that amount of money to enhance our teachers, to give them the opportunity to advance their uh, abilities to deal with cl all, whatever class size makes sense for them. I think that decision should be at the local level. But having said that, we do have these class size restrictions, yes. and um, some districts are saying it's going to require them to build more classrooms, more buildings. And so the connection I was trying to make is that this bond issue might be something that could help, help districts with that. And that's true. It is something that can help districts with that. Uh, the bond issue goes hand in hand with the additional monies that the legislature is putting into class size so that we don't have to rift any teachers, we don't have to reassign teachers, we can provide for the needs of the students based on that class size, the needs of students and the teachers based on the class size mandates. And uh, so the short session is sometimes not as short as the name implies. It sounds like maybe you all are taking a different approach this time. Do you, do you have a prediction? I I will not at all be surprised if we can be out of here by the, by the middle of June. Wow. Not at all be surprised. I also must tell you, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we were still here in August, but I don't think so. And mainly that's based on the practical consideration that every legislator, save one in the House, every legislator has a an election. They all have contests. I don't recall that ever happening. It certainly hasn't happened since I've been here. So these folks need to get out, get out on the hustings. They need to get out in front of their constituents and explain themselves, ask for the vote, and do what they need to do in order to get their message out to the voter. And then the chips fall where they may. Well, let me ask you about that because with everybody participating in political battles, trying to get their office back, do you think that that is going to have an impact on how legislators legislate during the short session? Of course. Of course. This is a political system. How we elect people, how they govern, it's politics. Now, there's plenty of people who say, oh, I don't like politics. I don't participate in politics. We all participate in politics, either directly or indirectly. We all pay taxes. We all want to know how our money is being used and why it's being used in that manner. We all want to hold somebody accountable. We all want to tell each other what good things we're doing for them. It's politics. We have politics in churches, politics in business, politics everywhere. It's a fact of life. It's I think it's a good thing. Now, I say that with some trepidation in the fact that that campaigns hard work, physically tiring work. It takes a lot of time. And frankly, I've got a lot of work to do right here. I need to understand the needs of the teachers, the needs of the kids. I need to be able to develop responsible 
and responsive legislation that addresses those needs and promotes good student outcomes. There's a lot of work to that. A lot of reading. A lot. I need to meet with teachers and and students and principals all over the state. So while I'm out pressing the flesh, so to speak, I'm not doing my job, which is what I was elected to do. So that's the flip side of it. There's, by the same token, I am to be held accountable, and the basically the only accountability I have is election time. You like what I did, or you didn't like what I did. You believe me, or have faith in my work or you don't. I have a good message or I don't. And that's the system of government we have. We're held accountable. And that's why we run for office. And that's why we should get out there and listen to the voter and let the voter listen to us. Well, Craig, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you very much, Alex. Always enjoy being with you. We've been talking with Representative Craig Horn. He's a Republican representing Union County. And I'm Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC. And you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening.